Good morning, everybody. Praise God. <clears throat> I hope everybody had a good Christmas. Uh, only 364 more days till Christmas. <laughs> Praise God. We've been uh, going through the book of Hebrews, and we are up to chapter 10 this morning. <clears throat> Praise God. So, chapter 10, the uh, writer um, of Hebrews uh, repeats himself or herself. It's probably a himself. Never know. <laughs> repeats a lot. And so, in uh, chapter 10, the writer kind of goes over everything again in a roundabout way here. But uh, there's a few interesting things I hope you get this morning, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, thank you that we have your words that we can look to, God, that we can receive. And I ask right now that you open every ear, and I surrender my tongue to you this morning, God, and my mind to you this morning, God, as I, I studied to show myself approved unto you, God, that may not be ashamed as I preach your word this morning in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Oh, nice pen. Praise God. It's kind of in my way, so I will. And I have the clicker. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. We'll look first at verses 1 through 2. All right. So, begins by saying, Since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, if it was possible for those sacrifices to make us perfect, or those who were offering them at that time, then they would have been able to stop doing it. They would have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. So verse 2 is actually a question. Verse 1, the law. How many know how many commands there are in the law of Moses? According to Mr. Dake, there's 2,713 commands in the law of Moses. <laughs> That's quite a few commands. But the Hebrews uh, letter is focusing on the sacrifices, the rituals that they had to do to make up for their sins. And it says that the law has a shadow, which is otherwise known as an outline. When I, I put the sermon together, I make an outline. I don't write everything down. In the old days, some ministers used to do that. They'd write out their whole sermon and read it. And... Uh, you know, I don't know about you, but that I've seen a, a, a movie one time. I forget the name of the movie, but the, the, the minister is reading, the, and everyone in the audience looks kind of bored, you know. <laughs> they used to publish C.H. Uh, Purgeon's sermons every Sunday, word for word, and people would buy the newspapers and read it. That was the thing to do, go listen to Spurgeon on the Sunday afternoon, praise God, and get saved. Praise God. So it's an outline. Listen in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And he says these words, Do not think that I came to destroy 
or Mr. Wycliffe translates undo or abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Then he goes on to say, if anyone breaks any of these commandments and teaches others to do so, they'll be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever obeys these commands and teaches others will be called the greatest. And verse 20 is a very interesting uh, statement Jesus tells them and us. Jesus says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So let's just think for a second. Remember Paul the Apostle giving his credentials. He says, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees as to touching the law of blameless. He's listed all of his qualifications for worldly or earthly righteousness and being right with God. And he says, you know what? All of that doesn't matter. It's useless before God because we could never, ever be good enough. Can you say amen? Praise God. Other thing I want to look at, why does the writer call it, why does the writer call the law a shadow of the good things to come? What are the good things to come? <clears throat> Anybody ever ask themselves that question? Was you reading along? Whoa, what? The shadow of the good things to come. I wonder what the good things to come are. Anybody like good things? I like to get presents. I like good things. Hope you do too. Because the good things were listed in chapter 9, verse 11. Christ appeared, it says, as a high priest of the good things to come. One of the good things to come was that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses your conscience. Isn't it wonderful to have a clean conscience? That is such a blessing to have a clean conscience. In the book of, uh, I believe it's uh, John's first letter, he says, if our conscience condemns us, God is greater than our conscience. Hallelujah. Another thing that the good things to come is that a new way to get to God has been established. You no longer have to bring a lamb, or if you can't afford a lamb, you can bring your turtle doves. How many know that Mary... Jesus' mother had to bring a sin offering after he, she gave birth to Jesus as prescribed in the law of Moses. Two turtle doves, it says. What else is a good thing? We're promised, promised excuse me, an eternal inheritance with Jesus and the saints. Another thing that, uh, a good thing that's happened is that God gives us a new heart. Inside, God changes us. After you receive Christ as your Savior, you can never sin again the same way you did before. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? That's a good thing. The Old Testament foreshadowed the New Testament, and the New Testament foreshadows the age to come. As we see life now <clears throat> here on earth, something sometime is going to happen when Jesus comes back and all of the universe will be restored to what it was supposed to be from the very beginning. Glory to God. God is good, and he's got a great plan for us. Now, the other thing we want to notice is that the writer says that these uh, sacrifices, first of all, the good things to come uh, outlined in the law, were not the things, excuse me, let me back up. The good things to come 
are the true realities of salvation and the kingdom of heaven. The outline is that these same sacrifices are continually or were continually offered year after year. This is specifically talking about the festival of Yom Kippur. In this particular sentence and further on in the chapter he talks about the daily sacrifices but if you look up uh, the day of atonement Yom Kippur according to the Jewish annotated New Testament first of all the Jewish people those that observe it observe a 25 hour fast Jewish tradition says that God decides each person's fate individually and collectively on the Day of Atonement, and so you better repent of everything that you can think of and forgive others. And uh, it's individual and collective purification by the practice of forgiveness of the sins of others and by sincere repentance for one's own sins against God. So on the Day of Atonement, if you don't get everything right, well, the Jewish tradition is that your fate is sealed. Until next year, I guess, or maybe forever, if you don't repent enough. How many know that when God asks us to repent, he not only asks us to turn from sin, he asks us to turn to him. And uh, I, I've heard some people say, oh, yeah, man, you better, better write down every sin you ever thought of and committed, you know, and, and uh, make sure you got them all, because pff, if you don't repent of all of them, oh, my goodness, you're in trouble. Well, that's not how it works. God is powerful enough for, to forgive everything, even if you can't remember. Because there's some things, I don't know about you, I don't want to remember. I'll never forget one day I'm driving along at working, and all of a sudden this memory smashes into my mind. Oh, my God! I don't... I couldn't, I hadn't remembered it for years and years and years, and all of a sudden, boom, it's like, oh, man, God, I'm lost. <laughs> no, I wasn't. But immediately, that's how I felt. Oh, my goodness. Ah, what a terrible thing I did. But God forgives it, hallelujah, because of the blood of Jesus. So, the... Uh, I don't know why I have the word condensed in there. Oh, I know why, because the idea that I wanted to get across is that I wanted to condense verse 1. Instead of all the words, the law, if you notice here, let's see, which is the, uh, is this the pointer? There it is. Psst. The law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form. See, there's a comma here and here. So you cut out all of these words. The law can never make perfect those who draw near. Now this phrase, those who draw near, is worshipers. So the law, condensed here, this sentence, can never make perfect the worshipers. Because if it did, they would not have to keep on making offerings. Everybody see that? It's the condensed sentence. The law, the main point is the law can never make perfect those who draw near. Because it says every year they come by 
And they do the same sacrifice, same sacrifice every year. Maybe, I don't know, maybe God was getting bored of it, I don't know. <laughs> but the same sacrifice every year can never make perfect those who draw near. So let's look at this word perfect here. I get a crack up uh, uh, or a kick out of uh, people, you know, you, you tell them something and, uh, you know, instead of saying that's good, that'll work, they say perfect. <laughs> Nothing's perfect except Jesus' sacrifice. That's what's perfect. That's the only thing that's perfect. God's the only thing that's perfect. Nothing else is perfect. Some things are really, really good, but nothing is ever perfect. So it cannot, according to Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown's commentary, what this phrase can never make perfect or make perfect means that it cannot fully meet our need as far as justification and sanctification goes. Why? Because every year they would do the same thing. And further on in the letter, the author says there was a reminder every year. Oh, hey, remember? It's almost like it was set up so that people would long for something else, something better. Hallelujah. It cannot make perfect. Chapter 9, verse 9, it says, The sacrifices offered by law cannot perfect the conscience. In verse 11 of chapter 9, which chapter 10 is reiterating, it says that Christ, as our high priest, through the greater and more perfect tent, entered once for all into the holy place, the real place, securing eternal redemption. In that particular verse, the word the perfect tent means literally, according to Vine's dictionary of Greek New Testament words, it means the very presence of God. We need the presence of God. Can you say amen? Every single moment of the day, we should be aware, or at least strive to be aware of the presence of God. God is a good God who has promised that he will never leave nor forsake us. Glory to God. In chapter 9, verse 9, and this verse, chapter 10, verse 1, this is a different word, perfect, and it means, according to Strong's Dictionary, to bring to an end by completing or to accomplish something or to be consummate in character. That's a word that most people don't use today, word uh, consummate. He is the consummate uh, connoisseur of fine wines, meaning he's got the perfection, so to speak. That's the idea. So, if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to Psalm 24. Psalm 24, I can hear the pages flipping on your phones. Praise God. Psalm 24, listen to these words. Verse 3, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? Ever ask yourself the question, what right do I have to come into the presence of God? How can I do that? The writer says, whoever has clean hands and a pure heart, was not lifted up a soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. Well, I don't know. I, when I was a Catholic, I used to pray to the statues. My hands, you know, I've not always done everything right. 
Sometimes my uh, thoughts of my heart are not very nice. I've lied sometimes in the past, so that counts me out. I can't ascend to the holy hill unless there's another way, unless God has done something else. Look at Psalm 15 with me. Who may abide in your tabernacle, O Lord? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, doesn't listen to any uh, gossip about the other people in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors the fear of those who fear the Lord and swears to his own hurt and does not change. Anybody ever been able to do all of those things all the time? Well, guess what? If you can't, you cannot abide in God's tabernacle or dwell in his holy hill. Remember Romans chapter 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. So, <clears throat> how do we get cleansed? Well, how would we be cleansed once for all and have no more consciousness of sins? I'm glad you asked that. <laughs> Let's go to the next chapter. If only those sacrifices oh, for once and for all could give a person a clean conscience, then Jesus would not have had to come to earth. But obviously, they were not able to. Why? Because in these sacrifices, verse 4, 3 and 4, there's a reminder of sins every year. Hallelujah. Reminder of sins every year. Since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come, we're still on verse 2. Verse 3, there it is. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Now, I thought about that and I prayed, God, why is that? Why is it impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins? And I believe God gave me a little bit of insight. Jesus was born of a virgin. So that means Jesus' blood, if you know anything about physiology, mom's and baby's blood don't mix. So Jesus' blood was holy from the very, very beginning. Are you following me? Jesus' blood is holy. So these <laughs> bulls and goats, they're part of nature. And all of nature is under the curse up until the point of the time when Jesus took the curse upon himself. Because of the fall of Adam, their blood is tainted. Can you, you following me? But Jesus' blood is perfectly holy. Is it making sense to you? That's why the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sins. It just was a temporary thing. Hallelujah. But Jesus' blood, glory to God, he took our place. He had to become a human being like us in order for his sacrifice, excuse me, to be perfect. Glory to God. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 11. But God, I love that phrase, 
That and much more throughout the Scriptures, the New Testament. When we were still without strength at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. This is what convinced me that God loved me because I couldn't believe it at first. For scarcely, verse 7, for a righteous man will somebody die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates or proves his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And there's a reference in my Bible to Jude, verse 24. He is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless or blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Listen to me. When we're worshiping God, I hope you can stir up yourself to have some great joy. If you've ever watched a sporting event, people go nuts. They go crazy because somebody got a ball in the net or somebody scored a goal. We should go more crazy for Jesus. Can you say amen? Verse 10, for if when we were enemies, how many know that we were enemies of God before we got saved, before we received Jesus? When When we were enemies, if, When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, there's more. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So God has accepted us because of the blood of Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 9, he lists a bunch of things that should be going on in your life. And in verses 5 through 8, and then in verse 9, it says, whoever lacks these things is forgetful of the cleansing of past sins. The rhymes or rhymes, I don't know how you pronounce it, the New Testament says this word, a reminder, is as a commemoration of sins every year. There where the high priest would go in, oh, here we are again, Lord. There's blood for my sins and blood for the sins of the people. And uh, here we are again the next year. Oh, here we are again, Lord, the next year. Here we are again. But glory to God. In these sacrifices is a reminder of sins every year. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. As a result, or consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, and he's quoting Psalm 40, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, Jesus is speaking, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Glory to God. Jesus voluntarily came, willingly came to fulfill Glory to God. For this reason, Christ came into the world. He began, according to the commentary, when Christ came into the world, this literally means when he began his public ministry. 
And at that point, he was already, he got baptized and he was ready and willing to go to the very end. Now, if you are an astute Bible scholar or student, you would have looked up Psalm 40 and you would notice that these words are not in Psalm 40 in the Old Testament in the New King James Version. It does not say, but a body you have prepared for me. Everybody, haven't you noticed that? I like to look up, because in the New Testament, they don't always quote everything perfectly. They paraphrase sometimes, as you'll see later on in this chapter. So here's a few thoughts on that. A body you've prepared for me. It literally, in the uh, Old Testament, it says, my ears you have opened. And it literally means my ears you have dug. And so there's two ways of looking at this. In Exodus chapter 21, verses 2 through 6, if a servant was living uh, in servanthood and the owner, this was actually slavery, was permitted back then, and the owner gives him a wife and they have kids, after seven years, the servant could be free. But the wife and kids had to stay. But if the servant said, you know what? I love my master. I don't want to be free. They would take him to the doorpost and they'd dig his ear. They'd put a hole in it. And so this is one uh, way of looking at it. That Jesus, a body you have prepared for me, my ear you have opened. He literally is saying, yes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to stay. I love everybody that uh, is involved here, and that's what we're going to do. However, there's another way to look at it, and according to Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown's commentary, it more probably means to be attentive or to be attentively obedient for what God's will is for Jesus here on the earth, and that was to go to the cross. Hallelujah. Okay, let's go on. Now, here's where it gets paraphrased, like I told you. When he, Jesus, said above in the previous sentence, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. Notice, all of these words are not in that other quote. So they get to paraphrase. And by the way, when you're telling people about Jesus, and God brings a scripture to your mind, and you don't know exactly where it is, you can just say, well, the Bible says this. And even if you don't quote it perfectly, you get the spirit behind it, because the Bible, the words are spirit and life. Can you say amen? These are offered according to the law. But then he adds, behold, I've come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will... We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The will of God is that everyone should be saved. Can you say amen? And he wants to, okay, so, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, we have been sanctified. Because Jesus was willing to go to the cross, we've been sanctified. So what does it mean to be sanctified? We do a whole sermon and a whole series on sanctification. However, <clears throat> I'll condense it. I looked it up in Strong's. There's only 
one word in the Old Testament in Strong's Dictionary for sanctification. And there's only one word in the New Testament for sanctification, according to Strong's Dictionary, and it means to be clean. In the New Testament, it means to make holy, to be sacred, to be physically pure, to be morally blameless, to be ceremonially consecrated, and it literally means to be a saint. Either you're a saint or you ain't. Can you say amen? And how do you get to become a saint? You ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life, and his blood cleanses you. It means to be properly cleaned. That is to be innocent, modest, perfect, chaste, clean, and pure. Glory to God. Like I said earlier, a clean conscience is such a blessing. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Does away with the first, and that was the order of the sacrifices. You know, I was thinking the other day, the angels appear to the shepherds. Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. I bring you news of great joy, the angel tells the shepherds. Well, guess what? <laughs> Remember, the angel says, this will be a sign. You'll find a child laying in a manger. How many babies got born that night in Bethlehem? I don't know. But why would a baby in a manger be a sign? I heard one preacher expound on this. is because the manger is where they kept the little lambs for the sacrifices at the temple. Well, duh! That's why Jesus would be in a manger, because he's the Lamb of God. Does it make sense? But if you're a shepherd, what's your goal in life? You want to be the shepherd who's got the flock with the cleanest lambs that supplies those lambs to the temple because there is your prosperity. There is your way of life. Well, little did they know that 70 years later, Titus, the Roman general, would come and destroy the temple and there would go their business. No more little lambs for the <coughs> sacrifices at the temple. But in the meantime, they had great joy because Jesus came and they no longer needed those little lambs for sacrifices. However, at the time, most of us uh, <clears throat> could probably deduce that uh, the temple was still in existence when this letter was written. One single sacrifice. Hallelujah. Those are being sanctified and some... Bible scholars claim that sanctification is a one-time deal. Others believe it's a progressive thing. Have you been making progress in your walk with God? I hope so. Praise God. Glory to God. <clears throat> Goes on in verses 11 through 14. Every priest stands daily at his service. Now, this is talking about the daily sacrifices. Under the law of Moses, every morning they were supposed to sacrifice, and every evening, the morning and evening sacrifice. And if you remember, it was the time of the evening sacrifice when Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal. The same sacrifices repeatedly can never take away sins, which we already looked at. But Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice, a one sacrifice for sins. And then he sat down at the right hand of God, the place of power. He'll never leave it, Matthew Henry comments, nor cease to employ it for his people's good. 
Isn't that wonderful? Jesus, the Bible says, is praying for us. Jesus Himself is praying for you and I. Glory to God. And what is He doing? In the meantime also, He's waiting. He's expecting the time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. Glory to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26. The last enemy to be subdued is death. Glory to God. I can still remember earlier this year, my older brother unexpectedly passed away from a brain aneurysm. Excuse me. And I was unable to attend the funeral in person, so they had it online. And there's his body in the casket, and I thought occurred to me, death is so weird. It's just, it's not supposed to be. Can you say amen? We're not, we were made in the image and likeness of God. We were not ever supposed to be subjected to death. Thanks, Adam and Eve. But the last enemy will be subdued is death. And then we have eternity, glory to God, something to look forward to. One single sacrifice forever as opposed to the same sacrifices repeated over and over and over. Glory to God. Now, watch this. And we'll end with these. The Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. Stop there for just a second. In chapter 5, verse 10, the Father testifies... In chapter 10, verse 5, the Son testifies. And now here in chapter 10, verse 15, the Holy Spirit testifies. So you have three witnesses telling us this stuff is right and true and good and powerful. Glory to God. Here's a picture of the Trinity. Can you explain the Trinity completely? I can't. I'm just, I don't know how to explain it to anyone other than to tell them you just uh, there's there's one God three different forms there's ice there's steam and there's water they're all the same thing but they do different things and they're different forms and each has their own working hallelujah the Holy Spirit bears witness or in other words in the Amplified Bible it says the Holy Spirit adds his testimony this is the covenant that I will make with them. Now, this was quoted earlier. This is Jeremiah chapter 31, verses uh, 33 and 34, I believe. And it says in the first instance earlier in the book or the letter that they quote, and again here they're paraphrasing, I will make the covenant with them. It says that the house of Israel, the children of Israel, and the other one, other quotation. But now it says, I will make the covenant with them after those days. What days? The days when Jesus <clears throat> went back to heaven and poured out his spirit. And now the covenant is available to anyone, whosoever will. Can you say amen? Make a new covenant. And what is the covenant? God says, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. 
glory to God. The Bible says that God takes our sins and casts them into the depths of the sea. He removes them as far as the east is from, let's see, the east is from the west. Praise God. Hallelujah. And I will remember, for where the forgiveness is, there is no longer any offering for sin. In Hebrews it says when Jesus returns, he's going to come back without reference to sin, without He's not going to come back to pay for sins anymore. He already paid for them. He's going to come back to judge the earth. Hallelujah. But we've already been judged because we've put our trust in Jesus. And we can throw ourselves on the mercy of God and say, God, I know what I was like. I know what happens every day with me. I know that you know God. God even knows our thoughts which are kind of scary, so be careful what you think. And he still loves us and still forgives us and he still blesses us. And Jesus is still the mediator at this point in time of the new covenant where God puts in our minds his laws, puts in our hearts his laws. Hallelujah. Where we can no longer successfully sin. Hallelujah. Where we can resist temptation. The Bible says resist the devil and he will flee. Submit yourselves to God first. Then resist the devil and he will flee. I don't know about you, but all this is good news to me because there's no way that I could ever, ever, ever pay for my own sins. There's no way I could ever, ever Put my mind on God and keep it there as much as I can without the help of the Holy Spirit, without the salvation that Jesus has brought, without the blood of Jesus having cleansed my conscience. And I hope that's what has happened for you also, that God has touched your life. So let's close in prayer this morning. Uh, I hope you got something out of that this morning. That is the blood of Jesus. One sacrifice forever has cleansed. And anyone who receives that is cleansed. Praise God. And God is on the throne of their hearts, hopefully. Amen. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. The presence of God this morning.